Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre in London, based at Holy Trinity Brompton. Mike Lloyd and Jane Williams join me, Graham Tomlin, in talking about theology, life, God, and just about everything else. Well, everybody, this is um, GodPod number 30, and um, we are now into our, yeah... Dotage. That's <laughs> probably right. Anecdotage. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right, yeah. I think it's quite a course of celebration, number 30, I think, probably. That's but right. um, we have today uh, Mike. Hello. And Jane. Hello. And we have as our guest today, um, Tim Hughes. Hello. Tim is, uh, as listeners will probably know, um, the uh, worship pastor. Is that your, is that your title? Well, on the calling card, it's director of worship. Director of worship. <laughs> even more important. I know. Director of worship. <laughs> Sounds yeah. a bit more controlling, doesn't it? It does, yeah. That's I right. like it. Yeah. yeah. And, worship uh, board. Exactly. So, uh, director of worship here at Holy Trinity Brompton. And uh, you also head up this, this uh, amazing thing called uh, Worship Central with uh, Al Gordon yeah. and... Soul Survivor involved in that and uh, all that kind of thing as well. So welcome, Tim. Thank you. And um, we were going to do a God pod with, worship, with, with, with you guys at Worship Central. Did we ever do that? We never quite got around to it. We never did it. Well, we'll do it one day. A step in the right direction. Exactly. But many of you out there might be listening to the Worship Central podcast. And uh, if you haven't, you really ought to because it's a very good thing. And um, so you can find that. Where can you find that? On well, we have a website, worshipcentral.org, and you can go straight through to the podcast. Brilliant. Yeah. So, yeah. So if you're interested in worship, that's um, something very good to do. Of course, you get you get music to kind of break up. I know. It's yeah. more magazine feel, wasn't it, with music? Kind of it is. Up, whereas we just get people sound of people crunching biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> so people can you know take their personal choice of those two options, can't they? Do you yeah. prefer music or crunching biscuits? Well, I have to say, whenever whenever I'm on holiday. I'm always listening to the God Pod on the beach, and uh, it's uh, nice, you know, you drift off to sleep, and uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a joke. it's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> that will be the sound of the waves, <laughs> dashing against yeah, the. Shore. I always enjoy Mike's jokes, and uh, yeah, it's always those good that fun. make it through the sense. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah that's, that's that's all that Mike contributes to this thing. <laughs> but um, yeah, but Tim, it's great to have you with us. It'd be good, good to know a little bit about your um your kind of background and how you got. How, how did you get into the whole worship thing? Well, um, grew up in the church. My dad's a vicar. And uh, actually, I remember when I was 11 years old, I went to a conference called New Wine. And uh, I was really struck by just the worship and the, by that I mean the sort of the music and the congregational aspect of singing and expressing devotion through song. And it just amazed me how actually um, it was more than people weren't just singing about something, they were singing to someone, that sense of uh, relationship. And it really struck me. I really met with God in a powerful way. And so uh, I left thinking I want to learn the guitar. And after a few failed attempts, um, I started to learn and would spend just hours worshipping in my room alone. And uh, I guess the worship pastor at my dad's church probably saw that I was very enthusiastic and uh, sort of took me under his wing and would sort of take me out and sort of share about worship, get me involved with leading with him and just sort of guess gently discipled me in it and then I, I met this uh guy you may know called mike pilavachi mm-hmm. crazy greek guy from soul survivor uh, he's been on one of our god pods already yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's been there. and uh he really again took me under his wing and mentored me and encouraged me and uh more and more got involved leading worship and i guess doors opened and eventually mike said would you come and join us at soul survivor <coughs> to help lead some of the worship and sort of grew from there really and when you 
were a teenager and worshipping on your own in your bedroom, yeah. were, was that with music? You were playing music? Yeah. So when I, when I say, um, yeah, worshipping through song, yeah, I mean, I, I would um, just learn all the, the Graham Kendrick songs and it was just when Delirious was starting out and um, old... You don't look that old. <laughs> well, I'm 30. <laughs> Good I know. Yeah, I had I a know. father. Pardon? Had a father as well. I know, just. So I'll just probably a age baby. a lot yeah, quicker right. now. Um, yeah. And so, so I, I would just find that through those songs, expressing, you know, my worship was so helpful. And, and actually, I think, you know, especially with some of the Graham Kendrick songs, they were so biblically rich, yeah. and it really um, it helped me grow in my understanding of God. Also, um, I found that my faith and passion for Christ just grew as I'd spend time worshipping, often feel a sense of conviction about areas I needed to sort out, kind of um, falling more in love with God and um, hopefully being healed up more. Um, it was just, it was really special. And I think looking back, kind of so much was birthed in that season that's kind of, has equipped me for what I do now. Yeah. And it's, it's, I find it absolutely fascinating because obviously music has always been a big part of yeah. of Christian worship. Um, from monastic times onwards, but it does seem to be a huge part now, doesn't it? And lots yeah. the the work you do with um, a lot of young people. Mm. There's so much music that seems to reach people in a way that nothing else does. But do you think it can also? I mean, you're talking about it grounding you and deepening you. And yeah. um, do you think it needs to be? People need more encouragement to do more Bible study and things. Yeah. Like well, that? I mean, I think um, if all we do is if all I did was just. <laughs> sing worship songs i think that's quite dangerous i mean i, I was you know, obviously reading and studying of the yeah. word is hugely important prayer um i think the, the, the role of silence although i think for some is harder mm. but i think that is equally very Especially important Mike, actually. yeah <laughs> 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 oh. uncharacteristically silent for a moment <laughs> But I, I think it's working alongside all of those things. Um, so, I mean, I, I hope, um, you know, with training worship leaders, one of the things we're trying to encourage them in is seeing worship more than just singing and, and finding those other aspects of how we can encounter God. I think the whole area of visual, yeah. you know, has been interesting um, with the screen allowing pictures and images to <coughs> help us understand more of God and mm. also respond um, but I think yeah we do need to be careful that we don't just get caught up in the music because music is phenomenally powerful you know it's um, it's amazing you know how you can manipulate and influence people through playing the right keyboard mm. synth pad or the right song the director yeah yes. exactly you know it's dr evil kind of <laughs> but it so does strike me that music i mean as jane says it's always been important i suspect it may always have been i mean there's a number of reasons why it might be important today i mean the, the availability of music through the internet and through through all kinds of other ways has obviously made music a much more global culture now than it ever has been before but but yeah you think in the in the past and you know sort of johann sebastian bach is the sort of great musical creator of sort of Lutheranism in, mm. in a way, you know, I mean, it, it, his music was, was absolutely sort of central and crucial mm. to, to, to the way in which, um, you know, a particular tradition of, of Christianity grew, you think of certain types of sort of plain song and, and different sort of strands of, of music within the church. And it's always mm. been absolutely a, a, a sort of central vehicle yeah. for, for worship. I, I was talking to someone the other day and they were saying actually they don't like singing very much. And um, when they go to church, they just don't enjoy it. Mm. And I was kind of wondering, you know, can you, 
you know, how far can you worship without song? You know, is, is singing, is music, that's an essential part of worship, or is it somehow detached from it? What do you think? Well, I, I think one, one can. Um, but, the, but as soon as you start thinking of things that you can do, like saying the Psalms, you, you remember that they were originally written to be sung. Mm. <laughs> um, mm. And it, the, the link between the two is a very strong one, really. Yeah. Um, the whole Augustine thing about, you know, he who sings prays twice. Um, and it does lodge things within your mm. mind in a way that word by itself, well, I guess poetry can, but um, that, which, is, which is why the Wesleys embodied their theology yeah. in in sure. uh, hymns. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, Tim, what you felt about, in terms of your growth theologically, yeah. has that come... Do you kind of read some theology and then think, get excited to write a song? Or do you listen to songs and, and kind of get excited theologically? Or is it both? Or do they feed into each other? Well, I think it's both. I mean, I've, I think a great song will make you want to study or dig deeper into that kind of truth of who God is. But I, I think the other side is, you know, there are so many songs that have kind of, I think, grounded or earth different theological beliefs. You know, I, I think... Um, you know, there've been some songs which are perhaps particular scripture songs that, you know, you just remember and it's been a very helpful way of remembering scripture. Or I remember even simple songs as a kid, um, um, which you might just claim hold of when you're feeling a bit concerned or anxious about something, which actually is it's amazing how they could bring an enormous sense of peace. Um, so I, I believe um, Perhaps we live in this generation where music is one of the key ways we can impart great theology, which is what really excites me as a songwriter and a worship leader, but also really daunts me because I think the danger is we can sing a lot of bad, flaky theology. Um, see, the other, the other dangers I think we've seen this move and encouragement to get theology into songs, but the songs have become so wordy that actually no one sings them. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's completely yeah. pointless. So it's, it's getting that balance between making them very accessible, I guess memorable and catchy, but also having something very dense and profound and mm. true. And, and of course, in the past, people have got that balance right. Yeah. You, get, you get, you know, we're just coming up to Christmas, you're going to have Christmas carols, yeah. and the second verse of um, Come Let Us Adore Him, you know, God of God, Light of yeah. Light. Um, it, it, it's good, yeah. <laughs> basic Christology uh, embodied in very memorable words, memorable largely because of the music. Yeah, um, you can, but you're right; it can get too Is wordy, it, too dense, too. And the great thing teachy. about that carol, and I think a great song, it's got the, the, <coughs> the great theology. But then there's the real outlet of the, uh, you know, the chorus that come, yes. let's adore him, mm. and it's that kind of like, I guess, drinking in. And then having the outlet to respond like, yeah. wow, God. You know, I think another song, How Great Is Our God, which mm. just the chorus, How Great Is Our God, it's just kind of, mm. but the verses talk about the mystery and the mm. transcendence of God. And I think that's what's also needed, the kind of, the response to mm. the God that we're... The other thing that very visibly happens when, when people are singing is, is the sort of sense of creating a community. Yeah. That sense of people singing together mm. um, and sharing an emotion um, that that does actually feel like a foretaste of heaven sometimes, yeah. doesn't it? You've, you've, in in a way that that a lot of other things don't, and I think that's a, a very powerful thing to do. That's worth doing in in its own right. Yeah. Um, 
provided it isn't, as you say, just manipulating people's emotions. Yeah. But there's nothing wrong with, with encouraging people to feel emotional about God, provided no. um, that there's, there's more to it than that. But I think we can be scared of yeah, emotions absolutely. in church, which is a shame, I think. Yeah. And I think music has always done that. I mean, again, Bach's music, well, in one sense, manipulates your emotions. It's a very, yes. you know, church music has always had that sense of, it's not just a vehicle for the words, there's something about the music itself, especially when the music and the words fit well, that mm. the music itself is something which can can speak and communicate, and, and therefore, you know, I, 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 I don't think I go down the line of just saying it's you know it's it's okay, you know, that the key thing is the words and the music is somehow secondary. Because actually, mm. I think the, the the music is an important part of engaging the whole of our ourselves, and 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 there is something about singing something as opposed to just reciting it yep. mm. yes. that does engage a part of our. Minds, personalities, hearts, souls—that um, that that adds an extra dimension to our engagement with God. I think. But given that we are a very diverse community, or ideally our churches should be very diverse communities, um, and we're trying to reflect the whole of who we are in our worship, that does mean that it's good to have. That though it's good to be emotional before God, it's good to have a whole range of those yeah. emotions, different modes of uh, relating to God, and you get that in Bach. Obviously, you got a huge emotional range, mm. um, but. And of course, first and foremost in the Psalms, you get a, a massive emotional range. Um, it's, um, it's an issue to, just to ask you, Tim, I, what you think. But I, I mean, I guess that there, there are different styles of worship, and I guess here in in this church, because because a lot of the uh, people who come here are the kind of younger end, eighteen yeah. to thirty, and therefore I guess we we go for a style of music which is the kind of they would tend to listen to in their cars on the way home and uh, that sort of thing. Um, anyway, but of course, of course there are, you know, there's classical and there's jazz mm -hmm. and there's all kinds of other thing. I guess, I mean, A, do you think that you can actually, you could in principle do the same sort of thing with a whole range of different styles of music um, that are different from, say, a worship band? Uh, and B, if that is the case, mm. then how would you, how would you kind of articulate the values that underlie the kind of worship that you want to, to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, th I think you can. I mean, I think uh, there's so many different styles and expressions, whether it's hip-hop, jazz, classical, rock band. Um, and I think often we, we confuse values and styles. We yeah. see a style and think, oh, that's not, you know, that's too performancey, and we judge it, whereas actually maybe that's an expression. Or oh, we think that's the only style that can, that, that, yeah. that, that it can totally. be expressed in. Totally. I mean, I, I think that the values thing we're, we're passionate about is our worships. Um, Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-led. I think a hugely important thing is accessibility because, you know, talking part of our worship is gathering together as one body to worship. And so um, there's certain songs I wouldn't lead with because maybe they're too hard to sing. And if people can't sing them, then it's hard for them to join in. I think also this... Um, making it as simple and accessible as possible, really. It does help people in the worship. It's not us trying to do something for them. It's trying to equip them and release them, with, obviously together, to really to really worship. Um, I think our worship also needs to be um, transforming, that actually our songs are more than just something we sing here, that it affects how we live, that our worship um, should bring themes of justice, um, remind us about the role of evangelism also the whole area of intercession lament kind of it kind of these emotional things we're looking at that our mm -hmm. songs um help us in that i think our, our worship also must um kind of challenge people 
and enlarge people's thinking and who God is. That leads on to a question that you, you had for us yeah. as well. Well, it's fine. So, so your chance. Rather than you pick my <laughs> brains, I wanted to pick your brains. But um, like I've, I've been told lots of places and sort of taught it myself that the chief worship leader is the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals Jesus and we follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. So as a worship leader, you know, I'm constantly trying to see what the Holy Spirit is doing and respond to that. So he's the chief worship leader. But then also I've heard the teaching, and I think there's a thing Calvin spoke about, that Jesus is the chief worship leader and that we worship through Jesus and we join with him as he glorifies the Father. So I'm asking you guys, who is the chief worship leader and how does that affect the way that myself as a song worship leader leads a Sunday morning service? Well, there you go. <laughs> Who's going to kick off with this one? Mike. There are, lots, there are lots of candidates. I mean, let's look at the candidates, the kind of suspects here. Um, yes, there is uh, Holy Spirit. There's one possibility. Jesus is another. Um, the person with the main microphone uh, is another. Um, the person who has the power to switch it on and off is obviously <laughs> quite key in this as well. Techie man. Um, the priest or pastor or minister or, or whatever. Um, there's a whole mix of kind of different people who you might call the, the leader of the worship. Yeah. You might talk, call the congregation. Yes, mm. I was going to say the, the, the person doing the worshipping. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I suppose I would say... I would be I'd be happier with saying it's the Holy Spirit than saying it was Jesus. Hmm. Simply because um Jesus is, is often the one who is worshipped. Hmm. Now there's they are, the whole Godhead is worshipped, hmm. but nevertheless the Spirit is the one who points us to Jesus. The Spirit Jesus then points us to, hmm. to the Father. That's the kind of movement within the Trinity. Uh it's the Spirit who kind of gets it going, I suppose, and then directs us uh to, to Jesus who directs us to the Father. So that's kind of where it all begins, I think. But you you could argue on the basis of Romans 8 that the Spirit is the one who gives us Jesus' voice and Jesus' words. So the Spirit enables us to worship in the in the, <coughs> in the the form of Jesus. In the, in the, name, in the name of Jesus yes, and yes, calling God yes. Father with Jesus' voice. Yes. So the Holy Spirit enables us to worship the Father mm. in in the sun, as it were. And, and, and in concert with the angels, the, the, the worship and liturgy of heaven. I mean, there is a tradition of the, of the Christian reading of the Psalms that reads them as the words of Jesus. Yes. Mm. So you kind of read the Psalms, or certainly many of them fit this way, as, you know, these are Jesus' words. You know, often they're going to the Psalms of anguish, you mm. know, crying mm. out for mercy. This is Jesus on the cross. And, and you know, so that's quite a long tradition of that, isn't it? That, that when you use the Psalms, you're almost kind of stepping into the the shoes of Jesus in a strange kind of way. And that's part of Jesus's identification with us. Yeah, that's right. Is those human words yeah. of the Psalms. Yeah, Yeah, I guess, I, I suppose if you, I mean, I, I always think of this, this, the Spirit's perhaps main main role, well, one of the Spirit's roles, I guess, is to is to enable us to respond to to God. That without, I mean, there is this, this thing, about, you know, without God's help, we can't respond to God. You know, we, we can have all of the, the word of of God in Christ and the scriptures come to you know, but unless God in some way enables us to respond to him, we can't do it on our own um and therefore, if the spirit is the one who who kindles within us a desire to respond to god and to 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 enable us to respond to his his approach to us, 
then I think you know, know that this maybe is where we're, where we're going on on this. That actually worship is always sort of being brought in in some way into the life of the Trinity, mm. and being kind of invited to join in with that. But it's as if this, you know, you know, sometimes the the, spirit, the Trinity is seen as a kind of as a kind of dance, you know, and, and it seems to me that I, I always sort of picture the Spirit as the one who sort of reaches out a hand mm. to invite us in, as it were. Um, but then the Father and the Son are uh, are involved in that act of worship, and that we, you know, we worship the Father through the Son in the Spirit, and, and so there's, there's there's no sense that we kind of exclude any one person of the Trinity in. I also think it's probably quite important to say that I really don't think the persons of the Trinity mind which one of them <laughs> we direct our worship to. They're not like us. They don't feel left <laughs> out. I, know, I, <laughs> so, I was going to ask, actually, because um, I've heard people speaking, there's a, um, a gap on songs on the Father and fatherless worship. And in one sense, you know, I look through the set list and, you know, predominantly they're about Jesus and then there might be some spirit songs. But I can't think of many songs at the moment we mm. sing that are purely directed to the Father. Now, is that a yep. major issue? I think I think it is in the sense that we need to be as consciously trinitarian as, yeah. as possible in our worship yeah. and the a church that focuses uh, on one to the exclusion of the other two or two to the exclusion yeah. of one is thereby limiting itself and in some way distorting its understanding of God yeah. and therefore distorting how it lives. Yeah. Um so yes I think it is and I think it's it's good to be consciously trinitarian yeah. in, in our worship. Yeah and I think the I mean, the early fathers fought hard about it. It's interesting because there's some people who say, you know, you shouldn't pray to or worship the Holy Spirit, mm. you know, because the Holy Spirit's the one who points us to Jesus. But actually, actually the, the early fathers were quite strong and saying, yes, we should worship the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is fully part of God. And if we don't worship the, the Holy Spirit, it implies that he's somehow less than than God. So we, we, we do worship the, the Spirit. But I suppose, I think at the same time, they, they were wanting to say there is a kind of order within the Trinity. Yes, we worship the Spirit. Yes, we worship <laughs> the sun um but there is a kind of order that i think you get coming through scriptures this this idea that we worship the father through the son in the spirit and that's that's, that's not a bad yeah. way of thinking about about prayer or about about worship that's the kind of order in which it, it happens now it's not the exclusive way it doesn't say you know you have to only worship the father you can never worship the son of the spirit but that way of understanding worship in a trinitarian form worshiping the father yeah through the Son in the Spirit is a quite a good a good and helpful way, which actually would point to, to it saying actually that, that songs that do worship the Father and address the Father directly actually are quite important. Yeah. But I think they would, it would be really interesting to see you, I'd love to see you doing some more of that actually, Tim, because yeah. it's something that people have backed off from recently because um, people have bad, I mean, we don't know how to do mm-hmm. language about fatherhood and actually yeah. to explore the biblical imagery about God's fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Would would be really exciting, I think. Yeah. I, I was reading a, such a moving sermon about Joseph the other day, and actually uh, talking about the role of a father, yeah. um, a, a good father, um, in in the life of 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 a of a growing adult child. Yeah. Um, and it would it would be absolutely fascinating to try and do that sensitively, wouldn't yeah. it? Because. You can go two ways on that. Yes, people have had very bad experiences of, of their earthly fathers. You can therefore either stop calling God Father for yeah. fear of distorting one's image of God by doing so, or you can use it of the one person who... Who has not abused. Who has yeah. not abused yeah. that yeah. relationship, and for whom, through that get a healing of one's concept of fatherhood yeah. and experience of that. Um, 
But Graham's <coughs> use of the word dance um, reminded me of um, the end of Voyage to Venus by C.S. Lewis, the wonderful passage where uh, the great dance of creation, where the whole of creation kind of dances its its praise of God, mm. um, which I suppose, A, reminds us of the use of bodies in, in worship mm. and the importance of that. But one of the things he, things he says about it is that um, you can never tell where the center of the dance was um, because each bit was the center. Mm. Um, and however kind of... Mm. You know, and it, it was so moving around and so interlaced. Uh, everything was coming to the center and then going off into periphery. But it was always every bit was the center. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a bit really with like that. With that's why it's a difficult question to answer. Who is the, mm -hmm. the worship leader? Because everybody's at the center. Uh, <coughs> the, the, the congregation, each member of the congregation, uh, the, the clergy, the person with the guitar, the, the, you know, God, the angels, the archangels, the thrones and authorities. Um, Everybody is. I, de I definitely like the idea of um, shaping, shaping it. And yeah, but taking the pressure off uh, the person on the stage leading. Because I think um, yeah. that's something we've seen. Um, you know, the person who leads the songs, that's the worship leader. But actually, um, the danger is it, it encourages a congregation to sort of switch off. It's almost like, well, they'll do my worship for me. I'll just <laughs> sing along. And actually, one of the things I'm passionate about trying to encourage is that everyone gathers expectant, ready, hearts prepared. Um, and the worship on a Sunday through song is a kind of an overflow of daily, private, yeah. you know, worship, a life lived out. And you can you can tell the difference, you know, when you lead and it's like people come in cold, it can be so hard just to feel mm. that connection. But when people, it's just um, a continuation of their life. You know, it's, it's amazing what happens. And, and sometimes seeing <coughs> even congregations leading or kind of so my role becomes actually trying to follow what's going on mm. there or what mm. the spirit or mm. you know that's and i think that's a really exciting mm. way of leading for a church and i mean I, as a preacher one knows that where people are yeah. makes a huge difference to, to to how you can communicate with them um that's my way of blaming anything that goes wrong <laughs> on other people than myself but, but it's a useful trick for the worship leader yeah. as well say so, well you know you're a worthless and lot you were up to it I mean, so something that's crucial to worship i think is that you know worship in a way i mean in a sense in worship you kind of forget yourself don't you I mean you need the idea is, you know, you, you you gaze upon upon God to the extent, in a sense, that you you're not you're no longer conscious of, well, you know, I mean, Lost in time, love and exactly, prayer. yeah. So there are times you need, you worship and you you just almost forgotten your own self and <coughs> whatever gestures or words or or, or um, um, you know, forms you're using to worship because your attention is so fixed upon upon God. And it seems to me a a good worship leader, whatever style it is is the kind of person who can help a congregation to come to that point where they're not focused upon the worship leader where they're not focused upon themselves even they're just focused entirely on on god i think it's gregory of nissa has this this i think it's a, it's a wonderful image of or his picture of worship is just this you know gazing upon the face of god and, and by gazing upon the face of god we are then transformed into his image mm. um that's what happens in worship it is a transforming experience it's not just a bit of a spiritual high for a half an hour on a Sunday it's yeah. it is a transforming thing because we are as we sort of gaze upon the the image of uh, of God in Christ in particular we know we, we are then sort of shaped into his reshaped into his image through through the act of worship 
Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Although and I have a slight kind of caveat there. I think that um, sometimes people expect more of worship this side of the putting right of all things than, than is an, on offer. Um, and actually seeing the face of God is not on offer. Um, we see through a glass darkly, only then then face to face. I mean, that's where we're looking and we get, um, you know, we have the stories of what God did when he's, he was amongst us to shape that imagination. But it's imagination rather than sight. It's faith rather than sight. And Whereas the, the other thing one could say is that is that God is looking at us. In worship, so that sense of being given back yourself in worship by the, the loving attention of God. Mm. The picture I always think is the Rublev icon of the Trinity mm, with yeah. that space at the front oh. for us. So that partly worship is, as Graham says, being drawn into the company of the Trinity. Mm. Um, and we look at them, but more perhaps sometimes even more particularly, they look, they look at us mm. in a way that doesn't make us self conscious but yeah. actually yeah. liberates yeah, us that's, to that's be who we are. Point. Yeah. It was a point that um, Rowan, you're husband said when he came to speak at our um, theological center last year he's talking about orthodox worship and how you know in gazing at icons the idea is that when you worship it's not just we're we're gazing at god it's that god is gazing at you you know you're actually being got all my best ideas from Rowan. <laughs> watched you know <laughs> i suppose sure also the other way around but yeah. i remember yeah. he used the phrase a spiritual jacuzzi which i thought yeah, was rather nice. Right. <laughs> do you have a sense that god is looking at you and your worship Worshipping, yeah. I mean, see, the other thing, um, I guess, tying in is that Zephaniah three seventeen of the Father rejoicing over us with mm. singing, mm. and I, lo I love that image. And sometimes, um, you know, I'd love the thought and expressing more of that of actually music mm. communicating God's incredible love for us, and that actually that song, mm. you know, can quiet us with His love. And and um, does it work with your baby? <laughs> Not <laughs> the moment. But. <laughs> but you see, there's an image for your song about fatherhood, yeah. the, the lullaby yeah, that God yeah, yeah. sings to us. Yeah. yeah. Now you know all there about fatherhood. You can start writing songs oh, about oh, them, yeah. Tim. I'll work hard. I just want one question to round off before we, um, we finish. And this is kind of related to, um, to worship, which is a, a question that came in from uh, someone called Richard Hill. Um, he's been reading a book by Jasper Ridley called Bloody Mary's Martyrs. And, um, it's a great surname for somebody writing about that period, isn't it? Indeed. It's true, And he's basically asking the question, you know, why, why in the, back in the 16th century people died and killed each other over the, the idea of, you know, what was happening in, the, in the, the communion, in the Eucharist? You know, was Christ really present there or not? The whole idea of sort of transubstantiation that in the b body and blood, you know, in the bread and wine, Christ was sort of really physically present. And, and, you know, that became a huge, big issue. And why do people kind of kill each other and die over that? And he's kind of saying, well, I, I wouldn't go to the stake over that. Why did people do that then? Um, and so I, I suppose it does relate to worship because obviously one of the key, key, you know, forms of Christian worship is 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 the Holy Communion, the, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, or whatever we call it. Um, and I guess I suppose part of the answer to the, the question is that in, in the 16th century, you know, theology was public matter, it was politics. You know, differences over, you know, communion were not just a private opinion, they were actually things that divided nations, and, and, and this was sort of, this was sort of public life, it was something that defined countries over against each other in the way that maybe political ideas do do now you know in the 20th century people killed over over a vision of of you know how you organize society whether it was sort of um fascist or communist and and in other ages you might think what's that what's why would you fight over that whereas in the 16th century you know 
whereas now theology is a sort of it's, it's more something you do in private and you're saying you have your own opinions about it then it was it was um sort of public matter but um but i just want to you know how, how we you know how central you we think communion is to worship and, and how, how do you kind of build that into your um does it make a difference when you leave worship when there's communion as part of it and so on I mean, I think it's uh, obviously a vital aspect of our worship that we, you know, constantly come back to remember uh, body and blood. And I think um, our songs, again, need to be picking up on these themes, that sense of remembering, reminding ourselves. And uh, the symbolic act of taking bread and wine is key. But I think it is, um, what I find tricky is at times it can feel quite... Um, you're so familiar with it, it loses sometimes the power. And I guess I'd, perhaps the music and the songs can help mm. bring a freshness whilst, you know, going through the, the wonderful liturgy you know, and heritage of, of taking communion. But I think it can be um, something we need to be more creative in. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Although I think, <coughs> in a sense, up to a point, the fact that it's familiar doesn't mm. really matter. You know, I brush my teeth morning and evening, mm. Um, it's a very routine, familiar act, mm. um, but it's still a good thing to do, and it mm. still makes a difference to my health. <laughs> and I think, and the health of those around you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, sorry, I'll <laughs> sit a bit further back. <laughs> um, but there's a sense in which actually uh, the regularity of the thing mm. is part of what it does to you. It, mm because it's so familiar and it's uh, you know, much the same each time, it drums its message into you and begins to shape you and change you um, and make you healthier. Mm -hmm. People do feel passionately about worship, though, don't they? Mm. And if, if the Eucharist is, um, is the centre of our worship, or wherever your emotional centre of your worship is, is, is something that people do get terribly wound up about and to be made to worship in a different kind of way. A lot of people feel it's not worship. Mm. And you must come across this with people who don't like mm. your style of mm. song and therefore don't think they really worshipped when they've yeah. been to a service like that. Mm. Uh, and I think in, in one sense it's quite proper that people get so het up about worship, mm. provided they don't, um, they're not trying to make God just the shape of the way we worship. Mm. Yes, or, or fall out over it. Worship yeah. is that meant to be that in which we unite together yeah. before the one trying God and in fact it's what we divide up over and, yes. and that has always been the work of the enemy yeah it does strike me that I mean <coughs> without getting into all the kind of Eucharistic debates of the 16th century I mean I, I suppose I, I, I do I mean my own personal view of it is that there is more going on in the communion than just remembering a past event of 2,000 years ago that in some way you know we do meet with Christ there that, that Christ makes himself present in the bread and the wine and I don't want to go too far into finding how that happens, and we, you, you could do it. But you know, it is so. It does seem to be one of the places where we are told to go and find God um, in in sharing of bread and wine, and, and therefore, so, you know, I, I, I actually quite like your idea of you know how do we make that to sort of sort of build on that, and it's it's one of the areas where I do think uh, you know again, the, like we're talking about the ideas of the fatherhood of God, and are there enough songs on that? I mean, I, I wonder also whether there's a there are ways of developing kind of musical liturgies which are you know in in a more contemporary style that that kind of help communion feel a bit more integrated into the way we we worship it doesn't you know in in churches like this and other churches that 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 um worship in more contemporary styles and so 
you know, whether it's songs about communion or, or songs that that um, that kind of take some of the themes of communion liturgies and just put that into more accessible forms for people. All the sung bits of the Eucharistic prayer. Yeah, mm. yeah. I think it's been. Um, I, I mean, I agree. Actually, I was just playing around with an idea on kind of communion thing, but I, um, I think it's almost become. It's, it hasn't been cool, as it were, yeah, to yeah, sure. to sing some of these liturgies. But yeah. I wonder, you know, finding beautiful melodies to yeah, some of these incredible right, yeah, words yeah. would be very, very powerful. Wonderful. Well, I guess we've come to the end of our time and um, we probably ought to draw to a close on Godpod 30. Tim, it's been fantastic having Thank you with you us. Me. Please come again. Oh, yeah, we, that's we, right. We must do the Worship Central. Yeah, we'll definitely. Bring your guitar next time. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, Well, Graham should bring his guitar. He uh, gave me a guitar book on chords and... I did actually, didn't I? Yeah, it was, it was, it was fantastic. It was a kind of 1960s. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we've come to the end of our Godpod 30. Thank you very much for listening and uh, we'll be back again before too long. So, uh, goodbye from all of us that was god pod a podcast from the st paul's theological center if you want to send us a question just email it to godpod at htb.org.uk we can't promise to answer all the questions you send in but we'll certainly try until next time goodbye